0: along here on the Hangin' with wang podcast welcome back everybody Uh, it's my honor to bring on um, our phone interview featured phone interview here for episode eight Uh, he's a former teammate and classmate of mine from all saints academy Um, and his name is noel otato noel first of all thanks for coming on the show man thanks for taking the time out how have you been during the whole covid madness and and some of the other stuff that are going on in these recent months
1: you know, I've just, just been, been trying to survive, trying to make it through. Thank you very much for having me on here. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been, t- like, 2020 has been a crazy year, so I appreciate <laughs> having an opportunity to actually talk about something that can help someone else.
0: No lie, no lie, no doubt about that. Um wanted to start a little bit um, about your uh, personal story. Just what do you do? You went to Michigan State. You graduated two years ago. Um, you told me a little bit about this before we started talking, but tell the audience about what you do um, and what kind of drove you to doing that.
1: So currently, I used to be a pre-med student, um, took the MCAT, decided not to go that route. Currently, I work for a company called the MSU Early Learning Institute based in East Lansing, as you, you guess. Uh, we work with young kids, two to five years old, diagnosed autism, and just basically just teach them how to learn at the rate of their neurotypical peers. And so, after doing that for two years, I fell in love with it and decided that I wanted to actually get a PhD in special education instead.
0: How um, how important you know, as we talk about education with everything that's going on and everything that we see in the news um and, and racism kind of being one of the bigger subjects uh that we see consistently how important in your mind is education in terms of you know bringing the future generation up to you know not be uncomfortable around other people simply because of the color of their skin how important is the education piece in all of that
1: education is very important that. it's important for like you said the the, the younger generation to learn that especially here in the United States, we are a melting pot. You know, there's mm-hmm. – I look around every day, and I, I I really see people that look alike. And that's the beauty of it is, like, we live in a country that was built for everyone and anyone. You come here, and there are all kinds of different opportunities for you if you just go through the correct channels. Sometimes it's hard to get through those channels. But, like me, I'm personally blessed with my, my whole family being born in Kenya and coming here in 2001. And then ultimately – getting my citizenship and so, you know, it's education is a huge part of it. It's a huge part of my success and then it's it's part of the reason why I wanted to go into a special education and join the college of education in Michigan State because I feel it's important to, to push that. And education doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to college. There's not, there's lots of different ways of being educated as long as you are pulling from different places and you're not looking at it down a one way tunnel.
0: From your perspective Is it hard to gain access to those opportunities or connections for the black community in America? Is it harder for that community from your experience or maybe the things that you've seen um, to find those opportunities, you know, to go to college or, you know, any of those other opportunities along the line? Is it harder for them in your mind?
1: You know, that's that's a tough question because. I wouldn't say it's necessarily harder to find that opportunity just from a day-to-day basis. There are lots of opportunities out there. There are black scholarships, which are actually great and help pay for some of my undergraduate education. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's lots of opportunities to get there. The, the, the difficulty comes in sense of all the different steps coming up until we get to that point. I was blessed. My parents growing up put all their money towards, me going to Catholic schools and private schools Mm -hmm. going forward and that helped me be able to get into really any college I would like to get into I mean I had a decent uh, GPA in high school and so I I could have really gone wherever I wanted and so the opportunities were there for me and so I have lots of friends who went to Creston high school which opportunities aren't there as much because college you know college app those 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 officers aren't really looking at Crescent High School, and it's tougher to right. get a good education there. It's it's just, I, w- I would say it's difficult, but it really it's difficult depending on where you come from. And so that's, the problem is there are lots of young black kids that are choosing to go different routes rather than to go the route of college.
0: Transitioning to this, um, did you see the George Floyd video? I did. What were your walk me through and again, I asked some of the previous people that I interviewed you know walk me through your initial reactions, your response to that video um what were you feeling in the moment um just just kind of you know open my eyes to what exactly went through your head when you did watch that video
1: you know when i when I first started watching the video, like you know most of us know it's pretty much it's about a nine minute video. So when mm. I first started watching it, I saw the situation. I saw what was going on. I saw the, the knee on George Floyd's neck slash back area or upper back. And and at first I was like, all right, they're holding him down. I am not. I didn't really know the story that came about it with that first. But it's just as, as you watch the video and it goes forward, you start to get angrier and angrier because you see that here, this man is lying there. He's not fighting. He might be – twice the size of all those cops. He's a pretty big guy, but he wasn't fighting. He wasn't trying to get out of the cuffs. They had him. He was 100% subdued. And so for the officer, I don't I don't like saying his name, but so for the officer that had his knee on his neck for all that time, you know, it's for him to not move. You have a man laying there saying, I'm going to die right here. Like, if someone's telling me they're yeah. dying... It, at at mm-hmm. what point do you decide to stop? And at that point, that's when I started to get more than just upset. I started to get a little angry because I mean, you can clearly see. I mean, you you, you see it when he's out. It, that's it's it's not. Yeah. By by the end of the video, I was more than upset. I was I was fighting. Yeah. Did did you
0: get an opportunity to go to some of the protests and and what were your opinions and feelings uh, or experiences if you did go to those?
1: I did not have the opportunity to go to protest. I spent okay. much of the time um, here in East Lansing. I just had some stuff to do here, and I know there was a protest that was held in Lansing um, not too long ago. And I, you know, there. I feel like there's there's so many other ways to show your support. I personally felt didn't feel the need that I had to be at the protest.
0: Mm-hmm. When we talk about the issue of Profiling—that's um, one of the big concerns, you know. Racial profiling. Um, a lot of cops have, you know. Some cops will say, you know, they go to certain parts of the city when they know they have to um, meet their quotas, and and you know, profiling is a huge issue. What are your experiences? I know you posted something on Facebook not too long ago about a personal story, a personal interaction or run-in you had with police. Um, maybe talk about that story and, and what are some of your experiences when it comes to racial profiling uh, growing up?
1: Yeah, I've I've had a few, but yeah, so the story that I posted um, occurred in 2008 when I was 12 years old. I was walking home um, from Blessed Sacrament, you know, over by Blessed Sacrament, there's the uh, Aberdeen Park that's right over there, and it was right, right starting summertime. And so I'd go there all the time, play basketball with a bunch of people that just go there. And then, you know, I lived probably a 15-minute walk away. And so sometimes I'd walk home. Sometimes I'd get picked up. That day was a nice day. It was still pretty early. It was about 6 o'clock. I'd probably been there for six hours. And so I decided, hey, you know, instead of calling my mom, I'll go ahead and walk home. Mm-hmm. And so – being 12 years old, um I, I was blessed enough to have a phone at that time, actually. I, I did well in school, my parents blessed me with an iPhone, so I did have an iPhone. But on me, on my person that day, I had nothing but my fro pick, the basketball that I brought to the park, um, a couple bucks that my mom gave me for food and decided not to use, um, and my phone. And so, I was walking down the street, it was, um right down, uh, Plainfield, I believe. And, Mm -hmm. um, and then all of a sudden a cop car pulls right in front of me. Another cop car pulls behind me. When I say in front of me, I mean, they pulled onto the sidewalk in front of me (laughs) perpendicular to the wall and the, the wall that I was uh, walking against. And then another one did the same behind me. And then a third cop car pulled parallel to the wall. So they boxed me in. (laughs) After boxing me in, there were four officers. Two of them had their own cars. One of them had a partner, um, And they started yelling, you know, put your stuff down, put your hands up against the wall. They pulled out their weapons and were behind their doors. Me being 12 years old, I dropped everything I had right there and then put my hands up against the wall. They coughed me and they put me in the back of a car. So Mm -hmm. once they put me in the back of the car, they started going through my stuff, looking at my stuff and looking at my phone. About 20, felt like 20, 30 minutes, you know, it had to be at least 15, 20 minutes passed. And finally mm-hmm. the female officer who's called then comes in, um, asks for my name. I uh, tell her my name, ask her, you know, how old am. what am I doing out her, I explain all that to her. Um, and then after she gets that information, she leaves. She comes back a couple minutes later and she's like she's she's trying to get me to tell to tell her my real name. I told her that is my real my real name is Noel Pato, that's who I am. Twelve mm-hmm. years old. And she's like, You can't be twelve years old. You gotta be at least 17. Like, ma'am, I'm 12 years old. I don't have any ID. They're looking for an ID, so I did not believe who I was. So I don't have an ID. I'm 12 years old. And then, at that point, um, I started to get upset. I started getting a little upset that she wasn't believing in my age. So I got a little bit of courage to finally ask her, Hey, why am I in the back of this car? What did I do? Well, she said, Well, they got a phone call a couple hours ago about a stolen cell phone in this area. And the cell phone that I had <laughs> looked like the phone that was in the report that was stolen. And so at the time being 12, I was like, okay, that's a lot, you know, this just stolen, stolen cell phone. I don't mm-hmm. really understand. But also when they stopped me, my phone was in my pocket. So it, that the story didn't really make any sense. Ultimately, she mm-hmm. asked me again and I told her, that was my name, um, and they were trying to get into my phone, and I told her not letting her into my phone, it's my property, and then they ultimately they let me go. She let me out, they took the cuffs off, gave me – four or five things that I had my property and I finished the walk home. And it was it was quite upsetting. I you know, I held it together pretty well because I think I was I was just angry, but it was once I got out of the car and I started to walk home again, that's when I really realized what just occurred. I they were just patrolling the area. You know, the cops used to patrol my neighborhood. I mean they used to walk my mm-hmm. neighborhood on Detroit. And so they were huh. just like like a a pack of cars just patrolling the area. All three of those cars. I mean, they, they stopped. It was it was a, a full maneuver. It wasn't like one cop told me to stop and then another cop showed up. No, they all three of those cars were ready for what occurred. And so, you know, it was upsetting, man. I I cried the rest of the way home because I realized what happened I told my parents. My mom asked if I got their badge IDs and all that, and I wasn't thinking about that. I I to get their badge IDs. I You know, I didn't get their card numbers and all of that. I wasn't thinking about any of that in the moment. And so, nothing was ever done. You know, they never called my mom, they never called my parents, me being a minor, and said, hey, we stopped your son, and, you know, as, I'm sure it's protocol would help them to do with minors unless you just let them go with a warning or whatever, but that was it, man. And it was tough, and I'll never forget the day. Till day, I see a GRPD cruiser, and my heart stops every single time. Mm. It doesn't matter if I'm driving a car, it doesn't matter if I'm walking, it doesn't matter if I'm at the store. I see GRPD, I see the cars, and... Every single time, my heart stops in a second.
0: And all of that, all of that force over simply a, a stolen phone. And, you know, when you mentioned the fact that it was in your pocket, I mean, no more suspicion than the fact that you were just, you just happened to be walking around the neighborhood at that time. I mean, that, you know, that's, that's kind of, it's, it's unreal. It's hard, it's hard for me to comprehend because I, I've never been through something like that, which, Kind of leads me, you know, transitions me really well into my next question, and this is really open-ended, but um, you know, I ask it from a place of curiosity. What is it like to be black in America?
1: That, like you said, it's a very open-ended question mm-hmm. because it's it can be tough. It, it can be it really to explain. That, I don't know. During situations like this, it, it stinks. You know, it, it's my grandson is from Rockford, Michigan. Sometimes we'll go to mm-hmm. roll to get here, and you know, is, I've I've had interactions with people from roll. Sometimes not the greatest. To be black in America, if you're amongst your fellow black community, it's fine. It's just everyday life. But once you start to go to areas where people don't really see black people, you know, sometimes I'll go to the start of summer festivals, Rockford, and I'm just getting stared down by people. I'm like, you know, hello, I'm a person. I might be a lot darker than you are or taller or whatever, but I'm you know, I'm still a person, you know. I still notice these mm-hmm. things. You know, my girlfriend told me that she used to go downtown and go all kinds of places, Um, you know, no problem. And never really noticed people staring at her, but, like, we'll go to the festival, and the cops will be staring at us. And and she's like, why are they staring at us? I'm like, oh, this this is normal for me, you know. i just making <laughs> sure that I'm not. Up to no good, you know, and so she realized. She she told me herself that she didn't even notice those things occurring until we started to date and actually go out in public together. And now she's like, wow, that is that's insane. And mm-hmm. so to be to be black in America, if you are in a place amongst other black folks, it's you know, it's just it's life. It's like I would say being white in America it's just except you're with black people it's in white people. But it's once you start mm-hmm. to put yourself in places where others. Aren't used to seeing someone like you, and that—that's when things start to get really, you know, really iffy and, and and sketchy and uncomfortable.
0: So, in your mind, you know, to be black in America is to, you know, almost in a lot of instances, be under suspicion.
1: A lot of times, yeah, a lot of times that that happens to be the case. I've had <laughs> I've had people walk down sidewalks and then cross the street. And then once they get past me, they'll cross the street back. You know, yeah. and it's happened several times. You know, it's not just something that maybe the person, you know, there's no, there's no reason to cross the street until you pass them and they come back. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so that, yeah, it's things like that where people see me, and then, you know, I'm also a pretty big person, so they see me walking down, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm assuming there's some fear or or whatever the emotion is, but the emotion. The emotion is so strong that you feel the need to cross the street until you pass me. If you have to come yeah. back to the same side of the street that I'm on. You know, I find it ridiculous, but again I I don't know. The emotion is this only that's them. I don't it doesn't happen to me, so I don't know.
0: What about um some of the you know, we talk about racism in a lot of ways. It's it's subtle, you know, it lives in the in the hearts and minds of a lot of different people. Um sometimes it doesn't always play out on a grand scale like we saw Um, with the George Floyd case but you know what are some of the microaggressions you know you went to a predominantly white school Um, you know we're a part of a predominantly white community at All Saints Academy did you experience any sort of microaggressions or you know things that people said you know that might have been jokes or in their mind that were jokes that you know kind of hit you a little bit differently that you didn't take it as a joke you, you took it personally were there any instances like that that you ran into?
1: You know, I'm I at back at all Saints. I don't remember very much of what might have been no. that be That being a good while ago, but I mean, I had situations like that happen at Grand Rapids Catholic Central, and in a lot of the times, they're you know people are in your class, and so like like you said, they, they to them they're just joking, but being you know like it's like the day it's like the day that you go to history class, and all of a sudden people are you know that – that but then they're talking about that day of slavery, and all of a sudden everyone's looking at you. You know, I'm getting looked at because we're talking about slavery today. It's like, okay, I mean, all right, I, uh, mm-hmm. you know, why is that? You know, so there's little things that occur like that. I never really had anything that was just outright crazy said or done to me um, by a person that at least I went to school with. But, you know, all there's right. little, little microaggressions like that where it's like, it may be aggressive, but it's like, you don't understand how uncomfortable I am to have 20 people look at me because we're talking <laughs> right. about slavery.
0: When, when there, there's a lot of cities, uh, a lot of people in different cities, New York. Um, I know Minneapolis is discussing this, um, that are talking about, um, defunding, um, and reforming the police. Now, you know, I know I'm not necessarily in a, in a place to talk about what specifically, Um, but when you look at that type of situation, what kind of changes would you like to see um, in the police force? We could talk about GRPD specifically, but what changes in your mind would you like to see um, in the police moving forward or just policing tactics in general to try to bridge that gap between minority communities and the police?
1: You know, I think one thing that really needs to be done is there needs to be lots and lots more training on de-escalation. Mm -hmm. You know, right now, I understand the reason why, but right now there's so, there's such a push for police officers to just be real scared for their lives in all situations, to every situation like you can be your last. And I definitely Mm -hmm. understand that because there is opportunities for situations to be your last as a police officer that you probably see almost every single day. So I definitely understand that. You always want to protect yourself because, like, you want to go home to to your kids. You want to go home and make sure that everything's okay. But it's situations that don't start out as physical or violent that end up as physical or violent, you know. I mean, you you see all the situations where a police officer stops a person, asks him for his ID or his license. The person reaches for their ID or license, and they might have their phone in their hand. And now you have this police officer starts shooting right away, you know. I mean, there's – the instances of individuals that straight up just kill cops for being pulled over are not that high. I, I understand the mm-hmm. fear of it. I would be also be fearful for that to happen. If it has happened, you know, you see it occur in other places. And so I understand the fear of it happening to you. But not often, you know, not often do individuals just get pulled over, stop their car, and then decide to shoot. You know, it's different when you've been chasing this guy for 20, 30 minutes, and then the, and then the guy you know is running stoplights and hitting other cars like that's already a violent situation. soon those situations escalate. I sort of understand because all it's it's been escalating for a while now. But it's it's little situations of a person reaching for something that you told them to get, and then you shoot them for it. You know things mm-hmm. like that. I that's that's just training that needs to be done. And So and that's one thing. I, uh, go ahead.
0: Well, I just think, I, and I also think it's it's inviting to know that a lot of these cases um, ones that you know that you just mentioned and, and other ones like it are starting to be reopened you know one of the bigger questions is you know corruption within the police these police forces you know why weren't these trials, Looked at earlier. Why weren't these people investigated earlier? I mean, I'll bring up the Ahmad Arbery case, you know, for a second here. Arrests weren't even made, and I know that was an ex-cop and a son, but I mean, still, I mean, that's a that's a race crime. Georgia doesn't have any laws when it comes to race crimes, and months after it happened, arrests were, still weren't being made. I mean, they made the excuse that okay, because of COVID they couldn't, but but really, I mean, if if the situation was flipped, in my mind. I'm assuming that probably would have been solved either that night or the next day. Um, But it's just, it's cool. It's, it's cool at least to see that these police departments are finally starting to open these cases back up.
1: Right, right. Like you said, that that corruption is also another thing that just needs to be just completely cleaned out. I understand Mm -hmm. protecting your fellow officers and protecting these people who are in the thick with you every single day. But, you know, this this is something I've already said to you, and I've said to a couple of people. It's like, I get it. Lots of police officers are great people. They're great fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and sons and daughters. But at the end of the day, I don't count you as a good police officer until I know that you hold your partners and fellow police officers accountable. If you can't hold mm-hmm. them accountable when they are doing things that you know and they know they shouldn't be doing, I can't, I can't consider you a good police officer. I, right. I I just right. I, I simply can't because that's like the one thing. If, if those people held their partners and other police officers accountable for what they did, I think we would see a huge change. People would be able to trust police officers a lot more because the reason for not having that trust is like, how can I trust you? You've got two police officers, and you know one is looking out for the other, and vice versa. Who's looking out for me? Why would I trust you if you guys are just gonna look out for yourself? You know, mm-hmm. there's, I, I forget what the, the story was of the, the officer's name, but there's this body, there's this body cam footage, uh, and they mashed it in where the individual who they pulled over, who had a actually had like a webcam on their uh, dashboard, and I was looking into the car. There's actual footage of a police officer pulling out a bag of drugs from his little pocket, huh. p- trying to place it in the car. He sees the camera and he immediately pulls it back and puts it back in his shirt and walks away. Hmm. There's actual footage and that man was never charged, they never gave him anything for that. I mean, come on. That's yeah. the that, you know. If if we can catch it on camera and tell that this cop did it, then the cops have done it. There's no way he's the only one. There there's yeah. there's thousands and thousands of police officers in this country. You know, there's it's just time that we hold them accountable for what they do. And so that's why I'm happy to see like the officers that go to uh, peaceful protests and are pushing old people with the until they bleed, and are just shoving and pushing people who are peacefully protesting, I'm glad to see that we're finally seeing those people get assault charges and they're, they're being suspended and fired, because those are the officers that we need off the force. If you can't right. handle going in and working at a peaceful protest, I, I understand being upset during riots people are throwing stuff at you. That I understand. If someone threw something at me, I'd want to throw something back i warrant to retaliate. But when you go at a point where it's just the peaceful protesters, the rioters only ever come out at night. It's just the peaceful protesters. They're not doing anything but sitting or or marching or doing whatever. You're shoving them to the ground. You're walking mm-hmm. up to them and shoving them to the ground, and they're standing in the ground. I mean, that's ridiculous. So those are the people that we need off. That's the true corruption because if there wasn't video for that, some would say that that police officer would just nothing would ever happen to him. Or her. They'd just be able to move on and come back the next day. When obviously they they don't have it. They don't have the mental capacity to do the job. If you can't handle a peaceful protests, then I have no clue why you're going in um, <laughs> in shootouts and bank robberies. Mm-hmm. There's just no way, you know.
0: And I, I, that's a good point. I think it was Will Smith who said, you know, this has been going on for forever. Now we just have video cameras that can actually capture it. I mean, it's not, it's not like the stuff has actually changed. It's continued. Uh, we just have the capacity to actually see it now and share it on social media. And so I think that's where a lot of the outrage comes from. But to go back to the de-escalation piece... Um, you know, one of my friends that I, I don't necessarily always see eye to eye with him, but I was talking or, or her, but I was talking to her earlier today and she actually made a point that was, you know, kind of funny, but it's kind of true. Um, she goes, you know, in terms of the deescalation piece and learning how to deal with situations peacefully, I mean, hairstylists in a way train for longer than many police, um, that doesn't seem right. It seems that there needs to be more training and de-escalation and le- learning how to handle those situations peacefully, um, and at the very, very last resort, and only if there's an immediate threat. Um, handling it with any sort of force other than you know trying to talk it out or end it peacefully.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. I I think I did. I, I might have seen that post or something like it where hairstylists get almost like over a you almost a thousand hours to be certified, Mm -hmm. whereas the police academies only have a couple hundred to be certified. That's that's ridiculous. That's crazy.
0: Noel, thanks so much uh, for coming on the podcast and sharing your personal story, man. I I appreciate your time and, you know, I'm learning. Everyone's learning. We're we're trying to learn more about this and, you know, it's kind of sad that we don't we didn't learn a whole lot um, about this stuff. You know, we learned about slavery in school, but we didn't learn about a lot of the police brutality. We didn't learn about policing tactics. We don't learn about a lot of the systematic stuff. So, um, you know, just trying to learn more and just trying to move in a peaceful direction. But thanks thanks so much for coming on and sharing your personal story. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. All right, man, I'm sure we'll talk pretty soon. Noel O'Teto right here on the Hanging with Wang podcast. Episode 8 of the Hanging with Wayne podcast rolls along uh, here on a beautiful Wednesday. Nate Wangler joined to my right, the first man to ever come on the Hanging with Wayne podcast, (laughs) the original, the OG, uh, Luke Schrock. Luke, thanks for coming back on the podcast, buddy. Um, Crazy times. Uh, It looks a lot different. Society looks a lot different now than what it looked uh, when we started. You know, COVID was first rolling around. And this was, you know, it was a new way of life for everybody. And then, you know, a couple months in, people are really, people are just irritable. And then, you know, the thing with with George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery happened. And Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, you know, one of the biggest things, And you know, you're a sports journalist, I'm a sports journalist. All of a sudden, it seems like after that happened, every single sports journalist in the world immediately turned into a, you know, there are bigger things than sports at play here. Mm -hmm. And there are bigger storylines to cover than sports here. And that was, that was tough on me. And I'm sure it was tough on a lot of the other guys, but you know, how have you been hanging in with the current, current climate? And uh, have you been speaking out at all about what's been going on? Honestly, I've been taking more of a
2: silent approach. Like my social media, just in general, I really don't talk about political things just for uh, personal reasons. Uh, I, I, I chase I, I don't choose a neutral route don't get me wrong on that mm-hmm. but so you,
0: silence isn't compliance in your mind because there's a lot of people that say you know if you're not speaking out on social media you're a part of the problem and I and I've always been careful to immediately condemn people that aren't reactionary on social media because just because you're quiet doesn't mean you support exactly the brutalization you're 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 being quiet because sometimes you don't know the right response Mm -hmm. especially if you're not armed with the right information and you don't exactly know how to speak out the correct way exactly and that's just how i am in general
2: i want to know every angle i want to know everything before i even think about posting something Mm -hmm. because i in the past and this is on on matters that are much 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 lower that or even back in my high school baseball days, I would right. react quickly on social media saying that, hey, it just doesn't seem like coaches seem to care about blah, blah, blah. And then coach texts me about it. We have yeah. a conversation. And I just don't like reacting right away, which don't get me wrong. I am very against what happened to George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And in seeing that video in the and in the kind of funny thing is with me is I was originally shown a video that was biased towards one side, which yeah. it, it was very biased towards the uh, Black Lives Matter uh, agenda, or if you could call it an agenda, yeah, which right. I thought I mistook that as the actual video, and I'm like, and it was a guy that was just cussing up a storm, and mm-hmm. it just didn't seem like with all the people, what they were saying, it just didn't match up, and I'm like, okay, something doesn't sound right here, right. and so I actually looked into it, and I found the true video, and then I saw what happened, and I'm like, whoa, okay. This is much more than what I've seen in the past, or that video is definitely not the right video. Mm-hmm. So that, that's another reason why I don't like to react right away, right away because right. I don't know if
0: I have the correct information. And, and the thing is, is like you can be reactionary all you want, um, but my only issue is, and we have a lot of celebrities that have spoken out about it, and listen, mm-hmm. speaking out, that's great. I'm all for it. March... Post about it, um, be outspoken about it. My only issue is um, with a lot of these celebrities, you know, you can speak and you can be all good intentioned. But, you know, outside of, you know, I know Dak Prescott donated a ton of money to Mm. Black Lives Matter Foundations. Um, I know MJ and Jordan Brand, a hundred million dollar donation to Black Lives Matter causes. That was insane. That that is insane. (laughs) And there are many other celebrities like it. I know J. Cole's another one. Um, but there are also celebrities that I feel like, in a lot of ways, are taking advantage of this movement to up their own clout, as yeah. opposed to actually doing something about it and donating either part of their salary or, or maybe even just their time to start bridging that gap. You know, well, I think there's a lot of hypocrites, especially on social media.
2: Right? I I agree with that, and I what I like to look at whenever something like this rises up. I liked I, I loved what hap, watching what happened with the NFL because think about think about it this way, you go back to 2016 and what happened then mm-hmm. and uh, I, his name escapes my mind for the second Kaepernick. Kaepernick. Kaepernick what happened yeah. happened to Kaepernick. And seeing the response of the NFL now and seeing the constant people right. say, like calling them out, hey, so what, does cap not right. matter or something like yeah. that? I love watching those reactions because and it's, that's the foundation of what
0: everybody's talking about. And it's funny because I didn't even think about this in the first place. You know, my reaction to Kaepernick was the same way. Well, you know, it, don't, yep. don't disrespect the flag. But now, you know... Again, I'm not all for the violence, mm-hmm. but you have to respect the message that in some ways is delivered with a touch of violence. And that's because when Kaepernick took that knee, yeah. I mean, you had people threatening to never watch an NFL game ever again yeah. simply because the guy took a knee. Mm-hmm. And now we have riots in the streets, and a lot of those same people are going, oh, yeah, this issue is a lot bigger than just one guy quote, disrespecting the flag. And I don't know if you saw, um, I know he already apologized for it, but Drew Brees is going to bring him up. Yep. I Luke, you know, this as a journalist and someone that has to interview people, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to have a feel for the room. Exactly. This is why in a lot of ways, I'm not a Trump guy. This is why a lot of ways I, I, I don't respect what Drew Brees said. Because when you walk into a situation in a time and place that we are in in America, you have to have a better feel for the room. Mm-hmm. You have to have a better understanding as a journalist in terms of what questions to ask and as someone who's being interviewed as how to answer. You have to have a better feel for the room yeah. than to say something like that. And, and
2: here's the way I look at it with that situation in particular. Like I, I come from a military family. My, I believe my uncle was in the Army. My dad was a mar- ex-Marine. And to see the flag disrespected, I completely understand. Well, I, I can't say completely understand because I didn't go through it. But right. as a military family, I understand that there should be reverence for the flag. However, that's not the point that yeah. Kaepernick was making. And in this instance, he was really trying to gather awareness for the Black Lives Matter initiative Mm -hmm. and police brutality, which that's an amazing cause. I am all for that. However, you also, and this comes from a marketing standpoint, you have to know how your audience is going to react. When it comes to the African-American community, they're going to be all for it. But however, in this country, a strong national identity is huge. Yeah, for a lot of people. Exactly. So when you take the knee, that's, how that's how things started to spark in the wrong direction.
0: Now mm-hmm. But so, you you have to understand the message though. Exactly. You know, and all you know, all respect to Cap uh for, for doing something like that. And you know, if anybody knew me back then or was following me on social media back then, I'm sorry for how I reacted. <laughs> and there you yep. know, the fact of the matter is, is you know, that's a that's a small gesture and don't it let is. it distract you know, I've I've said this a lot of times is you know, people take the violent exceptions and they go, you know, this this movement is a, a violent one. It's not a violent one. No, not at all. One. It's It's not at all a violent one. Don't let violent exceptions take away from the point they're trying to make. This is also the same reason why I say you shouldn't say all lives matter in a time like this. Because, again, that's a given. Mm-hmm. If you don't value all lives, then, you know, I said this on social media earlier, you're a psychopath. You know, you should get mm-hmm. your head checked. Exactly. But the, the point of what is being talked about now is all lives matter, or all lives don't matter, rather, if black lives don't. If we don't start putting these issues on the forefront and addressing these issues, and again, I don't know the perfect answer to it. I don't think anyone does, um, but it, it really seems like taking a knee, at least in that instance was just a small gesture. And I think if you're Drew Brees, you have to realize that there's a bigger message uh, behind taking a knee than just disrespecting the flag. It has nothing to do with the veterans. It had nothing to do with the veterans or people who have fought for the country. It had everything to do for a lot of these communities that have been uh, routinely suppressed or monitored or, you know, the racial profiling, as Noel mentioned a little bit earlier. That was the point of the knee. Mm
2: -hmm. And... And here, here's what's making this movement so successful on a much broader scale today is there when you're marching the streets and when you picket in downtown and all that mm. outside of the riots and you're just making a peaceful protest, no one has any problems with that. Not any race, not any group of people in the Ameri- in America, Europe, Asia, wherever. No one has a problem with that. And so once everybody said, got on board and it was all all just hoorah on this case, yeah, right. that's when they took to social media and that's when you hit social media, it spreads like wildfire, mm-hmm. which once you can separate, and I think people today have done a great job of separating this for the most part, once the rioting starts and you're able to separate that mm-hmm. and the, re- the reality that most of the time it's not black
0: people that are doing the rioting. That's the other thing. It's the white
2: people that are starting it It, and utter
0: cutting the message. And, and, um, you know, I I heard about neo-Nazis that were burning down community centers. Exactly. Okay, that is a clear example of the other side of things. But, you know, I also, you bring up a good point with that. Why, when we talk about groups like Antifa, anarchists, why is it that we can't mention those points. We're not trying to distract from the message, right? The message is clear. Um, A lot of the people that are out there protesting for George Floyd have no interest in actually attacking the police officers. Now, they might stand in front of them and, and, you know, bitch them out, but that's, you know, that's their choice. They have the freedom and the right, and they are legitimate protesters. But what I don't understand is, is why don't people focus on why, why don't people focus on the fact that these groups exist? As an anarchist, it was carefully planned in a lot of ways. Um, there is proof of, you know, a lot of them would drive around and hand protesters bricks. Um, they would start and incite riots so that peaceful protesters would come under fire with, you know, um, gas and whatever else. They formed amongst the millions of peaceful protesters and incited riots. And and that is the point. Again, to take chapter one out of the Anarchy Handbook, don't let a crisis go to waste. Don't let a crisis go to waste if you can turn it into a calamity. And again, we've seen so many different examples of, you know... These, the kids who are, who are a part of these groups, again, a lot of them aren't black that are doing the destruction. Yep. A lot of them are either a part of these anarchist groups or they're neo-Nazis or they're other people trying to distract or utilize, or not utilize, but take advantage of the Black Lives Matter movement to push their own agenda, which isn't reform, which isn't change, which isn't trying to build or bridge those gaps. It's anarchy. It is. That's their point. But they do it under the guise, or they do it behind you know they use the Black Lives Matter movement kind of as a shield to hide their faces. Mm-hmm. Why don't we talk about that more and i've
2: I think we kind of do like i I've seen article after article talking about antifa and this was after uh President Trump had announced or yeah announced them to be terrorists which and I think is a good move in this instance because. With such anyone's protest has the right to go on as they see fit, Mm -hmm. and there should be no reason that. And I get that this is a part of their beliefs, and that their organization as a whole kind of is just formed around doing these kind of things Mm -hmm. for to well against these kind of causes. So it's important to just read deeper. Into mm-hmm. what's going on, and for the for people that just read headlines, this is going to be the most confusing, confusing thing in the whole entire world. Because you can't just look at headlines, seeing what's going on, and right. truly understand what's going on. You have to talk with people about their experiences. You have to. You don't, in my opinion, you don't have to actually go to the protests, but you can watch the protests mm-hmm. and talk to those people that go to those protests. And then you'll see the actual
0: picture of what's going on,
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and engage a better understanding of what's going on. Um, yeah, wonderfully put, wonderfully said. I forget who the girl was. There was a there was a girl here in Grand Rapids. Um, see if I can find her name. Oh, but think, she was turned in by her grandmother. I think I know right. What you're she about. was turned in by her grandmother um, after rioting and looting. She. Okay, these criminals aren't smart, necessarily. They're, they're, they're not very wise. A lot of times they aren't. Nope. Um, <laughs> they don't wear masks that actually cover their face. I mean, maybe some of them do, but a lot of them aren't that wise. Um, and they were able, she was, her grandmother actually was able to get the information out of her that she was actually paid to do this. Paid to do it? She was paid to do it. Really? So that opens up another can of worms to me is, okay, who was paying you to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to be, you know, this right-wing conspirator, conspirator whatever. Um, I don't want to bring up George Soros, you know, but who is who is paying you to do this? And I remember driving downtown, um, you know, during all the madness and everything, and I remember passing by, and this is a this is a true story. I'm not making this up. Passing by um, a, what looked like a woman on a motorcycle. I don't know, but she was dressed in all black. She had black headgear on, um, and she had the the word prospect scribed across her back and she pulled up to a truck where another guy was dressed in the same gear who had objects in his hand right hmm. i don't know maybe they were just out for a night on the town i'm not i'm not quite sure what they were doing but it's it's my firm belief that truck i think there are bigger groups that are trying to take advantage of what this movement is and, and that's that's where a lot of that violence came from. There's no doubt in my mind. I it's the way
2: I see it, there are more there always seems to be one group that is the forefront of many other smaller groups mm-hmm. that are doing the exact same thing. So when I look at what's going on here, I, I could see that there are more groups that are trying to and this would stretch across the country. That are trying to undercut this, and that are trying to make this no more of a story, or try to end this story like any other reporting of this would be. Mm-hmm. Because you you back up to about I don't know five six years from now, if something similar to this happened, that this would not have blown up to the degree that it has. Mm-hmm. And that's partially, and here and this is how I see this. All of this madness. Just not even racially, but just as the in the country as a whole, ever since Trump has become president, yeah, just the yeah. there's been a disruption in peace
0: mm-hmm. in this country in general. And and some people argue, you know, some people argue, well, the 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 media has a bias. There is okay. Well, of course, you know, the media always has a bias. Um, but one of, you know. You can, I guess, his economic policies in my mind, some of them haven't been bad. I agree. Um, He's added a lot of jobs to the economy. There are a lot of other positive, you know, things that he's done as president. Uh, But his inability to create a unifying message, to have a feel for the room, Mm -hmm. or to just act like a human once in a while is it's 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 embarrassing mm-hmm. even for supporters or people who maybe plan on voting for trump coming up uh, in november of 2020 even those people cringe every time he opens his mouth mm-hmm. it, it's he's not just unconventional he's he's kind of a dummy In a lot of ways, (laughs) you know. I mean, all of these protests and everything—it's raging on, and his his tweets are "law and order," "make America great again," Um, "law and order," "law and order." You know, not in order, but you know exactly where I'm going. It's his inability to create a unifying message. Or have a feel for the room. Well, that just... is the most disgusting about Trump. I, I just that's that's the part of me that it's like I, I can't vote for this guy because it's good to have someone who's unconventional yeah. and wants to kind of address the 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 cycle of abuse and the bureaucracy that that is Washington D.C. But someone like him and, and his inability to address or unify people in, in the country's. Worst times, most dangerous times. That's what makes me not a Trump guy. Well,
2: and I I agree with you to an extent. I, he does do some things right from a business perspective. That is what he brings to the table. He's just not a people person. Mm-hmm. By no me by no stretch of the imagination. Right. And when you make a statement, completely denying racial tension within the country, mm-hmm. what do you think's gonna happen? Right. Things are just going to get worse.
0: And he, we talked about this. I talked about this with Noel. Um, Sometimes it's not even the fact that he's outwardly racist, right? He is outwardly racist a lot of times. Um, But it's a lot of the, you know, it's the stuff that, you know, you and I kind of grew up hearing. It's this the subtle racist jokes. Mm-hmm. It's the subtle references. It's the you know, it's the it's the jo- it's the little jokes that we, we look at as jokes, but he uses that type of locker room talk, I guess, quote unquote, if you want, you mm-hmm. know, to put it that way. He actually says that on a stage in front of people, and it's like
2: And he's probably actually believes it That's deep down.
0: Right. And and so that in a lot of ways has become the problem. He's not a unifier. Yep. He speaks his mind, but sometimes the things that are on, on his mind make you go, "Oh god, why did why did you why did you say that?" You know what I mean? Yeah. Like why? And then at the end he'll try to qualify it and say, "Not all of them are bad. We have many great African Americans or something." Else along the line. It's like mm-hmm he lacks that inability to create any sort of unifying message for people across the board.
2: And it's, it sucks in my opinion that we live in a time where you have to look so deeply into anything that's going on to have a correct opinion because Mm -hmm. you have to sift through all the, the biases, the media, uh, the media inaccuracies and Pray to God that you actually get to the true information yeah. at the heart of everything. Yep.
0: yep. You, you realize how hard yeah. and how long that takes, and how much misinformation is spread. And that's that's the other thing is you know, thankfully, in America now, when we have civil war, it, it's not like how it is in some developing countries. You know, we're not going to run out in the streets with machetes and kill each other. But if not you yet. look at the social media not yet, good point. <laughs> if you look at the social media landscape, it feels like war. Hmm. It feels like kind of like I don't know if you know what McCarthyism is, but you know, back in the fifties and sixties, you know, people would take evidence of being a communist, even if you mentioned the communist party, and they would pin it to you and you would automatically be shunned. Hmm. You know, we kind of have a McCarthyism esque approach to social media now is like a lot of people oh yeah you know are 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 going at the throats of others and you're dumb and you're dumb and Mm -hmm. this is misinformation um i'll try to pull up a picture that i saw the other day but it's just like it's also it's it's hate all around you know Mm -hmm. if you don't believe in what i'm saying or or the way i believe well you're wrong or you're racist oh here it is okay so you know being silent you're not supporting the cause you're part of the problem right Mm -hmm. so that's what we discussed earlier being silent always isn't being compliant it's just trying to figure out the right thing to say speaking up you're supporting the cause incorrectly because what about this this and that right spreading positivity the world is not all sunshine and rainbows you know have you guys heard of toxic positivity i haven't heard of that but being a realist why are you so negative protesting you're supporting violence being against rioting you're more worried about property than lives believing black lives matter don't you know all lives matter? Believing all lives matter. All lives don't matter right now. You're a part of the problem. Believing blue lives matter. You support corruption and you're probably racist. What about COVID? There are bigger problems going on right now. Those affected by COVID don't matter. How can you be right in this situation? You can't.
2: How? And that is that is exactly how I feel and the exact reason I do not post on my social media accounts about political things. Mm-hmm. I might put one out there once in a while, but it's very rare. Because of the fact that there is so many ways to skin the cat of your opinion and to skew it into different directions. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that I that can cause drama. And right. I avoid drama in every form that I can. Yeah, And I get that an avoidist thing like that it isn't yeah. always the right direction. I understand that. But I support in other ways. Mm-hmm. There's other ways to support this cause, Mm -hmm. and I choose to do those things.
0: And let's not, let's not, for anyone listening, Mm -hmm. don't take this as Schrock and I are confused on what the problem is or how it needs to be solved. Racism is a thing. It is. It is a systematic thing. There was a good article from the Detroit News that they released a little bit earlier today, and I'll just read, I'll read the headline. Mm -hmm. Um, African Americans earn, on average, around $0.60 for every $1 Mm -hmm. of white income. Uh. They have ten cents in wealth for every one dollar whites own. they remain more than twice as likely to live in poverty mm-hmm. um, and they're about as likely to own a home now as they were to own a home when Richard Nixon was in office we that's eye opening and we realize there is a problem with that and and, and that's so that you know that you're choosing to be silent isn't being compliant and i am no ways am compliant with this but it also brings up the question of okay we can point out racism mm-hmm. but simply pointing at somebody and going that's a racist remark i don't think that's enough you know we need to donate money um i think it takes you know it also takes a, a person-to-person approach you know it's mm-hmm. like how do you stop polluting the earth well Everyone needs to do their part.
2: Exactly. You it know, starts I, in your own little world.
0: Right. I need to open up the conversations because, you know, I went to school and studied to be a journalist. I need to do my job and go out and find people to be open and, and, and you know, talk about their personal stories and share and open up about ideas about how we can move forward. That's, that's my job. And I can also donate money to Black Lives Matter causes. I'm currently looking for some causes that might be willing um, or that might be pursuing that goal. There's no question about how Luke and I support the cause and the movement. It's just the question of how do we actually address this, properly address this, and with enough power that change actually happens. Exactly. And at this moment, most of my... And I I try
2: to educate myself on everything that goes on, and this cause especially. Mm -hmm. But in my circle as of right now, I don't have a lot of people that... Um, I I can really talk to you about the situation. Yeah. There's one I do have a, a black friend that uh, we have had some conversations about this, but he that person hadn't really had much experience in mm-hmm. what's going on, so there really wasn't much that I could really talk to him about. And I know once in the fall when I get back to campus and cor- at Cornerstone, I'd mm-hmm. be able to have a little bit more. Uh, range of people I can talk to about this and to get those personal experiences cuz in order to understand this truthfully and to in the right way you really do have to have those personal uh personal experiences that and get people to tell you about those
0: experiences it has to happen and we have to safeguard against making this just a two party issue exactly um you know I'm 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 looking at 5 different lives on a list right here um black lives that were taken uh, due to riots across American cities Um, when we talk about black lives matter all black lives matter right certainly the ones that have been oppressed and have been victims of oppression but I'm guessing that these individuals also have been victims of oppression and two of those are police officers and my guess is and again this is only my guess They most likely joined the police force to try to make a difference, Mm -hmm. to try to bridge that gap. I I don't think they're brainwashed. I don't think they just joined the force simply because they had no other choice. Maybe, maybe they grew up in a military family or a police family. But, you know, it's sad to see that, you know, in in a movement for Black Lives Matter, five other black lives were taken Mm -hmm. that mattered just as much. You know, and this is this is this is the sad part. I understand a message that's delivered with force. but why do people who have actually been through been through the struggle? Why are they dying? and again I'm not a tr- police it, it could have been I know one guy was accidentally shot uh, by a rubber bullet and died due to police. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the story of the seventy seven year old retired police officer um, who was beaten to death by protesters for trying to protect his business. The sad part of all this is that collateral damage was imminent, and and we see it right in front of us.
2: And the fact that black-owned businesses were destroyed Mm -hmm. by these rioters is proof right there, right in the face of this all, Mm -hmm. that the rioting is not pro is not the right
0: way to protest this and it's not people who are pro the movement and a lot of people you know they're like well check your privilege you don't get to tell people not to riot or loot or break things and i'm like okay maybe i don't maybe you're right but you know i'll refer to conversations like um george floyd's brother george Mm -hmm. floyd's sister both of them came out said you shouldn't burn your own city down Killer Mike, I don't know if you know who Killer Mike is, um, rapper from Atlanta, came out and said, you know, look at how many black-owned businesses we have here in Atlanta. He goes, don't burn it down. Mm-hmm. Don't 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 tarnish lives. Don't don't destroy people's places of business and their, their livelihoods. And you know, maybe some of these people are are paycheck to paycheck. No, they don't have a job. Mm-hmm. So you know, the riots were disheartening, but. You know, we always need to be cognizant and realize that, you know, we shouldn't let that take away from the main message. Luke Schrock, thanks so much for joining us um, here on Episode 8. Of, <laughs> of the Hangin' with Wang podcast. Um, always a good conversation. You know, I know we've been broadcast partners for a while, so it's mm-hmm. easy to kind of bounce ideas off of each other. But, you know, to conclude, we're all for it. Oh, yeah. We realize what the cause is. We realize that action needs to be taken. Uh, and and we realize that the solution isn't easy Um, you know but I think for you and me the universal call is find something you can do on an individual basis don't judge other people for what they're doing don't go after other people on social media you're doing nothing but setting race relations back by attacking other people find something you can do hey celebrities, all celebrities put your money where your mouth is Stop talking about it and be about it. Um, And and again, find ways to reach out and begin to bridge that gap one person at a time. This has been the Hanging with Wang podcast. Again, new episodes coming out every Wednesday. Make sure you keep it locked as well as other interactive content um, as well. Luke, thanks so much for joining us, buddy. Of course, always glad to be here. Luke Schrock, right here on the Hanging with Wang.